Welcome to Learning Through Math, the podcast. I'm Laura at I Teach the Why. I'm Karina at Mrs. Cousins 5. Our mission is to inspire ourselves and others to keep learning and improving with passion. And hugs. You can find us at learningthroughmath.com and on Twitter at Laura and Karina. Come and join us on this journey of learning. Thanks for joining us. We are recording this in November of 2021. And welcome to episode 61, Learning About Visualizing Math. Can't wait for this conversation. I have a reflection from a couple of weeks ago when we did our podcast on the five practices. Yes. And it really got me thinking when Tony said about how, you know, we've been talking about this for 10, 11 years, and it's still being brought up in conferences and everything. And I really got to thinking, I have not done a good job at my new school giving PD on this at all. I feel like my teachers, if I said the five practices, they would have no idea what I'm talking about. Yeah. Which makes me think I have to do a better job getting that word out there, at least at my school. Right. Even at your school. What do you think? Do you think the teachers would know? Yeah, I don't think that they would know. Absolutely not. And maybe that's something that we also discuss with our math department, you know, about just bringing that back in. Because I do think, again, it's like an alternative to the I do, we do, you do that's so ingrained uh, in teachers that maybe if we just show them this or offer them this, maybe they can say, oh, there is another way, like there is another way to structure our math teaching. And I also know that our elementary math department does such a good job on their digital slides. They put the five practices all the time, but I don't know if people really realize what those are. What it actually is. Yeah, I don't think Mm -hmm. so. So you know how I'm going to just keep focusing on the one person, you know, at at a time. That's something maybe I'll just do one at a time. With PD. Yeah. Okay. We're going to tell them our good news. Yes. We're off this week. Yeah. It's Thanksgiving. Because <laughs> we used to work Monday, Tuesday. Yes. And then they said, well, the absentee rate is so ridiculous. So we're just going to give the whole week off. And I think if this is only the third time in 30 years I've ever had so. this week off. Yeah, it's wonderful. Absolutely it, wonderful. When we needed this so bad <laughs> because we were all June tired in September. Yeah, it's been another tough year. It's been another one. I mean, people are still saying it. It really has. And For I'm, sure. I'm reading more and more blog posts and articles about teacher burnout and teacher walkout and teacher resignation. I mean, we are going to have a humongous teacher shortage soon. Very, very soon. <sighs> Got to win that billion dollar lottery and build my own school. (laughs) You know it. (laughs) That's it. Listeners, we are so excited for today's episode. We have a very special guest and I'm just going to go right into it because I can't wait to hear from you. And today we have Berkeley Everett here with us. Yay! Yay! (laughs) Hello, hello. Welcome, Berkeley, to the show. And we just can't wait to hear from you. So let's get it started with telling the listeners a little bit about yourself. Hi. So I'm Berkeley Everett, and I'm so excited to be here with you both. Uh, I listen to your podcast all the time, so it's so nice to actually see your faces. And and I hope that your listeners, uh, you know, get to see you sometimes too, just like me, maybe at a math conference. Uh, But it's an honor. Um, 
a little bit about me. I work uh, with K-5 math teachers, so I do professional development and I coach in Los Angeles. Uh, although I would say I feel like I do more learning from the teachers than they do from me and from the students in their classrooms. Um, and then another part of my work, uh, I work with Dragon Box and we design digital manipulatives. And we are working right now on uh, putting some of those out through the Kahoot platform. Uh, so that's something that's coming uh, in this next year. That's super exciting. Wow. Well, you may be fans of us, but we are fans of you. Okay. Yes. <laughs> we're, we're kind of fangirling here too, because... We, I, I don't even remember when I discovered your site. I mean, it, it was years ago. I probably came across you when I found Kyle's site and just kept looking for visual math, visual math, and came to your mathvisuals.wordpress.com. And I was like, what <laughs> is this amazing site? <laughs> Listeners, you have to go there. It's amazing. Yes. Well, thank you. And you know what's interesting? I actually, I stopped updating it. Uh, and part of the reason that I stopped updating it was that I I started seeing kids creating visuals themselves uh, from meaningful contexts that teachers mm. were giving them uh, that wasn't, you know, wasn't always from the textbook. And I know you just talked about that on a recent episode with Chris. And I think <laughs> so much of what the teacher can do is get to know the kids, create a meaningful context that the kids already have intuition experience uh, and the ability to visualize with and the kids can model it and create all kinds of amazing visuals and like you were talking about the five practices uh, how you know how often does a kid not come up with something that we want to share with the whole group and if you're you're thinking about how am I gonna look for that student work how am I gonna um, compare and connect those those ideas and the share out you're usually going to get a, a kid who has come up with the strategy or the model that you want to share with the class so uh, long story short, I stopped updating it because I realized that for me, teaching was more about putting the kids into a position to come up with the models uh, and then uh, than it is about us kind of creating visuals that we would show to students. And that isn't to say that people can't find innovative and creative ways of using those. I just think that it's not as important as teachers putting kids in the position to do it themselves. Gotcha. Okay, but I'm going to argue back that, <laughs> that you, the stuff that you have on there is just so powerful, even if a teacher put it up and did a notice and wonder yes. with, with the students. Mm -hmm. I mean, I will say one of, one of my favorite videos to show is the greater than and less than and equal sign, mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. relationship, because I mean... So often the thing that they know are alligators, right? But they don't, mm -hmm. it's like, it, it just, it's another visual to show. Well, it's, you could see the greater number, right? It's something that they could picture in their head and the equal sign mm -hmm. has a balance. Like I just, I loved, I love that visual. I do love mm, that video. Thank you. And I got that from an NCTM uh, article that I can send you the link to if you want to include in the show notes. Please. That would be great. Uh, and they had a picture where they, the kids had sort of built it and used popsicle sticks to kind of think about uh, and notice and wonder. Because I, I do think uh, a great facilitator, a teacher who's really trying to get the kids to think in different ways and, and isn't funneling towards a particular answer, can use kind of a, a, a visual instigation, like, mm. like the kinds that I've created, maybe. But I also think it matters where you put it, too, because 
have kept have kids had the experience to solve problems in contexts that are meaningful to them and model it before you show them that, or are you showing that to introduce the concept? And I think that kind of it could it can undercut the ownership if kids could do it themselves, uh, and you show the video yeah, first. That's true. That's a good point. But I but but you're totally right, Laura. Like if you put something up. And, you, and you've thought intentionally about when you're showing it and you're asking an open-ended question and you're going to accept a lot of different ideas and connect those ideas and it still feels like the ownership is on the kids, is with the kids, then then I think those kinds of things can be useful. I love that. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about your Visualizing Math website. Tell us more about Math Flips because that's something that Karina and I love. Yeah, well, I, I think um, Math Flips was something that I originally put on the Math Visuals website. Uh, and they're, uh, for, for people who aren't familiar, they are flashcards, uh, but instead of an answer on the back, there's a, another related problem. So it's like, uh, I like to say, like a problem strings for your pocket or a number talk for your, that fits in your pocket, yes. right? And I think most people use them as the, as the Google Slides, right? And, and they're free, they're on my website. Uh, but I think the people um, appreciated the new format because they could share it with, uh, colleagues who maybe wouldn't want to try number talks or problem strings, didn't want to look through Sherry Parrish's book. Uh, but if their colleague said, uh, hey, you want you want to try these flashcards? They're like, oh, yeah, flashcards. I know flashcards. Like, it feels, yes. it feels comfortable, right? right? Um, so it's just trying to uh, give people more opportunities to, to try something new. Uh, and I think getting kids away from the answer uh, and getting teachers away from the focus on the answer uh, can help us look for and talk about those important relationships. And tell us how you came up with that path of the the sequence that you did for the math flips. Yes. Uh, well, Jennifer Bay Williams and her research, her books, you know, her presence on Twitter has been, she, she shares her knowledge and expertise so willingly. Um, and it's benefited so many people, including me, and it helped me think about, okay, what order would I put things in? Um, and what what things are related to to each other in a meaningful way. I do think I have to get better about communicating uh, which decks might be useful at different grades, mm. uh, but I haven't put grade levels on them just because I think kids can be ready to engage in different math at different ages. And it's hard to it's hard to say this is second grade. Right. Know? We right. can take the very first one and give it to our fifth graders with ease right. and still have a huge conversation about that. Right. I actually gave all the math flips to my support teachers last February to use when they do small groups, because when we were heavy, heavy COVID times and had to be far apart for everything, that was something that they could put up on the screen in the Google Slides, or I actually made cardstock ones for the teachers so they could use it with small groups of kids. Mm-hmm. It's like what you said. It's it's accessible. Like it's it's something that they feel more comfortable with having flashcards, and that's mm-hmm. something that I've sent home as well. And I know several teachers have sent them home in little bags for kids to practice because that's something that again parents feel comfortable with, right? Flashcards and knowing their math facts, right? How many times have we said that? But uh, but that's yes. something that they they can do at home. That's not something that is that is unique to them or different. It doesn't feel different to them as opposed to, you know, all these strategies and compensation and doubling and having, like they don't know all those things, all those terms, but a a math flashcard they can, they can grasp. And that seems easier for them to do at home. Yes, absolutely. And if the, if the activity is always the same, right? Side A is always how much or how many and how do you know? Yes. And then side B is the same question. 
Uh, and then it's like, well, how are side A and side B related? Or what what's what do you notice about this deck, right? That's that's the same no matter what the content is. Right. Uh, that's getting at that big idea that math is just about looking for patterns and connections and relationships and talking about it and expanding upon it. And right, the kids might not notice the first time. Uh, they don't need to know that it's a multiplication deck. They might be thinking uh, additively, mm-hmm. and that's great because they're making connections to what they know, and then that those connections. Yeah. And, and I think about that right the, those those activities and spaces where the quote unquote low kids, which are not low, they're just misunderstood right. <laughs> by us, right. and the quote unquote high kids, I, actually they have things to teach teach each other. Mm-hmm. And I, I I think all all kids have have brilliance in mathematics, and and really the the high and the low labels say more about us than it does about the kids. Um, and, and my colleague, uh, uh, Quinny Allen likes to say the, she says the beauty of the range, mm. the beauty of the range, like that, that's such a struggle. Teachers are always like, Oh, I have, I have such a range of learners in my class. And, and it is a challenge, but there's also this beauty in it that kids who are often perceived as low have actually have a lot to teach the kids who are perceived as high. Mm-hmm. And it's in those situations, um, like I know, Laura, you were, uh, I think you shared on Twitter a story about having the the dots on your shirt, right? And people seeing it in lots of different ways. Yeah, It's, it's less about who's using the more quote unquote advanced mathematical idea and more about what can we learn from each other. That is one of my favorite shirts that came <laughs> from you with with the, you are a math person. And I wore that a few weeks ago. And I made everyone, all the adults that I came in contact with, stop in the hallway and read the shirt. I'm like, here, read this. And they're like, you you are a math person. I said, no, that's not what it says. <laughs> I said, look what's italicized. It's, And they finally said, you are a math person. And then I would turn around and I'd say, how many dots do you see and how do you see them? And I'd say, you can draw on my back. It's okay. And maybe I asked 15 adults and I might have had two people repeat the way that they saw it. It was so awesome mm. to hear the different ways. And one time I had a group of, I think there were about four people, including our school resource officer. She was in this group. And I think my principal was too. And everyone had a different way to see it. And some people were literally just counting. And some people were grouping it by fours. And some people did the whole, you know, four by four array and four by four array and took off the four in the middle. People, if you don't have this math shirt, I'm going to link it in the show notes. (laughs) You have to order this because it's just amazing. (laughs) And how often do people say, ask you, so Laura, what's the answer? And I say, I don't know. What is the answer? You tell me. (laughs) (laughs) Right. We're always redirecting away from this feeling of like, okay, what was the right thing I was supposed to say? Yes. And people will say to me, am I right? I'm like, I don't know. Are you right? (laughs) I don't know. What are you thinking? (laughs) Yes. And that's, I mean, that's the same in in my own classroom, right? It's that shift of, in math, we're constantly trying to get answers. It's the answer getting subject, but it's it's not. It's it's about, you know, but it is. It is, but it's not. It's not always about that. It's about thinking about it. And I I know, especially with um, Peter Liliodell's building thinking classroom, I just I'm really trying to get away from from me knowing everything and me telling the kids if they're mm-hmm. right or wrong, it's it has to come from them. Uh, so a lot of times when they ask, is this the right answer? I'm like, I don't know. You're the one who solved it. I, I mean, what do you think, right? right? Mm-hmm. 
So I just put mm-hmm. that ownership back on them. But it is an it is a shift that needs to happen. I feel like in math classrooms, it's important. Yeah, and and how often? And it's more about a journey from an intuition and a feeling and a sort of initial sense making towards refining your idea, which is always informed by a conversation with other people. Yes. But it's that again, is is math a verb or a noun, right? If if we believe that it's a verb, it's it's that rough draft thinking, right? The Amanda Jansen's work about like start somewhere and refine yes. it. Like if you're in that, if you're somewhere in that journey, if you were moving in that direction of refining your thinking, then you're doing math. And that's all that matters. And I just think about those, I forget who said it, but kids can uh, learn. I think it was Jennifer Bay Williams. You can, kids can learn from uh, a problem they didn't finish. And I think that's true. Kids can, uh, about problems they get wrong. Kids can learn from problems they get wrong. Kids can learn important things from problems they don't finish. And we just have this need to finish things or feel like we can wrap a bow around it. But that could be undercutting, again, undercutting the ownership. Love that. Okay. When we were getting ready to record this episode, you had mentioned something about fractions, Berkeley. What did you want to tell us about fractions? I'm pretty excited to hear this. Yeah. No. So, I mean, I think... What, what I love about the, the conversations that you have on this podcast is that you get really specific uh, about, you know, particular content or particular pedagogical moves. And I, I liked how on, on your questioning episode, you talked about that very specific piece of, of student work mm-hmm. uh, with the decimal. Yes. Right? Uh, do you want to describe what it was again? Because I'd love to keep chatting about that. So the question was... Actually, it wasn't even a question. It was just place the the decimal 0.4 on the number line. And the number line had one endpoint uh, that was labeled as zero. The other one that was labeled as one, there were five tick marks and the student had labeled one over one, then one half, then one third, then one fourth. And at the one fourth mark had made a bigger like dot, like that's that's where that 0.4, that's where that student thought that was. And uh, if I remember correctly, you you were talking about getting them to to make sense of four tenths, yes. like asking them like, like your, your questions were all about, let me get more information about what this student is thinking, yes. right? Because even though there's student work, we're, we're always going to have more questions like you, you. And this is where I think about where, where grading can be uh, uh, such a disservice, yes. because how do you give even even detailed written work where we've asked them to show their thinking? There's always more to learn from a conversation with them. So it's so uh, like, how, why are we putting number labels on people? It's, it's just like calling them high and low, right? If you can, if you can uh, categorize people as being higher or lower than someone else based on a score of written work. It's just an incomplete picture. So I appreciate your questions. Like, like, tell me more about how you would read this or just digging into what the student knows about fractions or, or about decimals um, and looking for patterns, looking for relationships. Um, and I was thinking, uh, I, I just wanted to jump in your conversation. <laughs> I was like talking to the podcast when you were talking about it last week. So I'm glad I'm here. Um, <laughs> But I and and I brought this book with me, uh, extending children uh, children's mathematics by Susan Imsen and Linda Levy, and I highly recommend it for uh, people who teach elementary school and teach fractions, and that's all of us, I guess, uh, everyone. <laughs> but um, something that I appreciate about about this book that kind of turned fraction uh, work in the classroom on its head for me was where it suggests that we start. 
and it's in in contrast to most curriculums which start with kind of a part whole model mm-hmm. where it's already partitioned for the student and they argue in this book that that the sort of the sense making or like you were mentioning in a thinking classroom like where where's the thinking where's the sense making that we want kids to to have around fractions it's around the partitioning that they've done in their life already mm. so if the fractions are already partitioned for them then we lose out on this opportunity for them to connect ideas about equally sharing food. That's that's a super common experience that kids have. Um, But kindergartners, first graders can solve uh, partitive division problems that result in fractions. Uh, And and I feel like the, the classrooms that I've been in, the student work that I've seen from the lower grades, sometimes the kindergartners have uh, a stronger understanding of what a fraction actually is just because they haven't, you know, it, they haven't been. It um, hasn't been beaten out of them. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right? exactly. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So I, I guess what what I wanted to say, what, what my thought was, I, I would love to ask that student, like, what is what is a context where the the answer would be four tenths? Like, what's a situation right. that would result in four tenths? And I'm just I'm wondering, just because thinking about the one over one, the one over two, like they're they're, um, the student is trying to make sense of the fraction notation, mm. but that makes me think that maybe uh, I would love to know where their sense making is, what they do know about the operation that results in fractions. So like what is a, a story involving partitive division that would result in four tenths? So um, I was thinking of what about like, um, let's say like four cookies and we always say cookies well that's the kid like what do you like to eat what do you like to eat right and whatever that kid says like hey like what if 10 people were sharing that equally how much would each person get right um and then through that process of of solving that problem uh and this is i think the reason that kindergartners are so much better sometimes than the, the older grades is that they will actually draw it out mm. and so many of these things you need to draw out the the food item and you need to draw out the people and, you know, you need to Match, slice right. it in different ways and <laughs> draw the lines between the people and the food. And and so often I'm, I'm in upper grades classrooms and I pose a problem like this and I, I'm looking for somebody who's drawing it out. But again, we're talking about the, the quote unquote low kids. I, I was in a fifth grade classroom and a kid was directly or what we would call directly modeling by drawing out the people and drawing out the items. Uh, but but when I walked by, they covered up their work and they didn't they didn't even want to talk to me. Aww. And I said, oh, you know, I, I said, you know, you don't have to talk to me, but what you're doing, it would be really useful for other people to see. And and the kid just didn't feel like talking to me, which was OK. But so many of the other kids were trying to do like the long division algorithm or just something that and, and they couldn't tell me what the numbers represented. I was like, where are the people like where are the cookies? Right. And they, right. they couldn't tell me because they're living in abstract land. And I guess that's what I meant when I said we've beaten it out of them, right? We've taken away all of the physical manipulatives and the representational models for them to do. And now they think that fifth grader was probably thinking, oh, that's babyish. I don't want to show anybody because I'm drawing a picture of this. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I think that that's where, Laura, the, the graphic that we made with the three Venn diagrams, I do bring that up in, in my class because so many times, like you said, they live in that abstract circle, right? Where they, that's all they do and that's all they understand. And I told them to really be a good math- mathematician, to be a great mathematician. You have to be able to live in that sweet mm-hmm. spot where you can see all three, right? You can model it 
with those manipulatives, you can draw it, you can make a representation of it, and you can associate those numbers with with what it is that you're doing. But being a good mathematician means doing all three. Yep. Mic drop. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) So is anything new on your horizon, Berkeley? Are we going to look forward to anything coming soon? Maybe you maybe you could help me decide how to how to spend my time because that's something I've been trying to think about and and so my new website berkeleyeverett.com is focused more towards teachers um, and and my my tagline is I help you visualize the math you're you're teaching and while I think that uh, showing kids the visuals that I've created is not always ideal I think that we do need some uh, entry points for for adults for ourselves to be thinking about what what does it mean to make sense of and really when I guess when I say visualizing I'm talking about making sense of I'm talking about drawing out drawing out the people yeah and drawing out the cookies and drawing the lines and doing the partitioning right um, visualizing I guess for me it used to be more about like number lines and you know place value blocks but it's much less about that to me now than it is about context. Mm. So, okay. So let me put it back to you. Uh, like I, uh, so I, I recently had my first child. So my, Yay, <laughs> which is exciting. But I, <laughs> but I have much less time now. Yes. So I have to be, it's, it's great because I, I'm, you know, uh, it, it's focusing my energy and my time, but I guess now I'm trying to figure out what is going to be most useful to people. Is it uh, more math flips decks, you know, should I make some division decks, uh, some, you know, multi-digit addition and subtraction decks? Um, should I, you know, be like uh, Howie Wa and kind of make short little math uh, tutorials? <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, what do you think? Yes to all. <laughs> okay. I was going to say, I can't pick any of the, uh, from those. I, those are all, those all sound wonderful. Uh, because especially those videos, I think, I think that we don't spend enough time discussing as teachers, you know, I don't know. I, I, I don't, there's not enough PD, I feel like, available. You know, I, I don't know if it's not enough thing, PD. I don't, I don't know what it is. I know. I don't know what it time, is. Right? It's about think, us yeah, investing time. our time into learning. Time. Yes. Because yeah. what the, one of the conversations that we had in our PLC was uh, one of the teachers said, the first year that that she taught fifth grade, she brought the TE home with her every single night. And that's that was what she looked at for the next day. And I was telling Laura, that was a very different approach as to how I took it. You know, <laughs> I stayed away from the textbook, but I also had Laura to kind of bounce ideas with and say, how do I how do I concretely right visualize or show this? How do I have kids model this? So I was looking at it very differently. And and I think videos like Howie Was, his are more based for middle school, high school, I feel. There hasn't really been a lot elementary style, right? So I maybe maybe the elementary teachers would benefit <laughs> from something like that. There you go. And so then maybe you can help me figure this out too, because I think I want to also avoid showing teachers how to think. Right. So how do I create something? How do right? Because I I, I want to treat teachers the same way that teachers are treating students, which is like you can make sense of yes. this. So I don't know. I guess I need to find a way to create maybe short videos or f- short experiences 
where teachers can be thinking about, I guess, maybe leaving with more questions than answers. And I think what you said, because one thing that I wrote down and I put a big circle around was context. I think if you approach it contextually and not just computationally, yeah, yes, that might bring people into the fold. You know, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Because it is a different way of thinking. It's not just plug and chugging numbers back and forth. And here you go. Here's your answer. And I have no idea why, but there, there it is. Yeah. You know, I got it right. Move on. Yes. Well, so let's talk about that because, and and I think, I think something, cause I'm, I'm always trying to figure out my, my place in math education. Cause there's always imposter syndrome, right? Like yes. I, I feel it. people, people call me an expert. I'm like, I'm not an expert. I, I, I have expertise and, and I feel like what I'm good at, my expertise is usually surrounded around, uh, my my growth areas and what I'm currently learning and what's fuzzy in my brain, mm-hmm. right? Um, like, for example, I'm still trying to make sense of the five different types of rational numbers uh, so that I can better understand and talk about fractions. But that's still fuzzy to me. And I feel like, you know, it's never, it's never, I can't really wrap my brain around it until I blog about it. But then I also, like I said, I want to be careful that I'm not saying this is the way to think right. because- People should be critical and because I don't, I, again, it, there's going to be something that I would revise about it a year later, right? Um, but, but going back to what you said about context, it's something that's fuzzy for me that I want to share with all of you and, and everyone listening can kind of, I'd love to hear back from everyone about this. Like, how can the context be the thing, the thread that, that kind of runs through K through five, K through six math? How can that be? kind of the solution to uh, the sense-making problem where kids are doing things, com- computing or doing arithmetic without thinking, right? And even that, like, some, and I'll give an example. So the the 10 people sharing four items of food is, in my mind, it's two units. It's two different units. It's people and it's food. Yes. And it results in a fraction. And the fraction is a number that represents how much food one person gets. So it's like a unit yes. unit rate in a way, like they're going to get four tenths. That's one person. And so now it's a, a new unit. There were two units and now we have this new unit that was created. And that's sort of, in my mind, that's what's happening in multiplication, which I realized pretty recently <laughs> that like six times seven equals 42. The seven is seven over one. It's 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 a ratio right you know six groups uh, in, in the grouping definition right knowing that there are different kinds of multiplication but the one that we most commonly ask kids to engage with there's a hidden ratio or a hidden fraction in there and how much more helpful would it be if there was a context where we explicitly name that i have six plates with seven cookies per one plate and with seven over one is equal to 42 cookies did you just do that at nctm was that your session? I, at CMC, I did. So at CMC, yes. I did 90 minutes where all we talked about was six times seven equals 42 <laughs> because, because I'm still learning new things about six times seven, mm-hmm. right? Like the thing that I just shared or, you know, the fact that six times seven sometimes equals 21. Um, and I have an image to prove it, which I will describe to you since we're on the podcast. And then can we uh, put it in the show notes? Yes, okay. for sure. Yes. So, uh, so, uh, wait, I just want to say I was uh, very upset that I did not attend. I'm not a member of CMC. So, <laughs> you know, it's not like I attended that conference, but I saw all these tweets oh. about it and I was like, dang it. 
You are all welcome. We are very welcoming here in California, <laughs> and people come from all over to come to CMC South. So okay. we'd love to have okay. you. Um, so, okay, so my mom has a kumquat tree, and uh, they're like little citrus fruits, mm-hmm. and she always has too many. So she gives me those, and I use those for creating visual math images. And uh, I had cut them in half on a cutting board, uh, and I had created six piles and each pile had seven pieces in it, but it was seven half pieces. Ah. So it's so if you look at it as pieces, it's six times seven pieces per pile, per one pile, <laughs> equals 42 pieces of kumquat. That would be the 42 explanation. But if you're looking at it as six groups with seven half pieces of kumquat, then that would equal 21, 21 whole kumquats. Right, right. So six times seven equals 21. Wow. Yep. So I guess my my point of the point of my presentation was if we're all learning new, if it's possible for us to all learn new things about six times seven equals 42, then it must not be basic and it must not just be a fact. Like there's there's more to it. You know, to me, it's more of a generalization. And And if we treat it that way, we're listening for something different when we're when we're engaging with kids and we're more open to learning from them so it's more of a two-way street. Yes. Okay, so if you're going to go the TikTok route, which I <laughs> I am not on TikTok, I don't know how to make a TikTok, anything like that. I'll see it when you put it on Twitter. Uh, do you, first of all, do you even know how to do a TikTok? I nope. <laughs> have to ask Howie. Yeah, learn how to do it. Paging Howie. Paging Howie. <laughs> but I'm I'm thinking Back to the context part and like, like what you just said, mm-hmm. could that be in a TikTok video? Yeah. I mean, are they limited to one minute? They're limited to something. Yeah. I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to have to, uh, okay. <laughs> I'm going to have to, that, that was my, my rough draft thinking there, right? Now I got to refine and make my argument more elegant. Yeah. But again, I don't want it to just be an argument. I want it to be an engagement, something yeah. that I don't, I don't want people to feel like I'm telling them how to think. Okay, and I'm going to say that after listening to this whole episode so far, I think the three of us have used the word think the most mm-hmm. out of every word we said. So I, again, I think <laughs> that it's just to get people to do some thinking, not yeah. here's yes. the answer, here you go. It's right. what do you think? Yeah. Yes. And that maybe that's your little tagline of engaging, you know, the conversation back with people. What do you think? Yes. Great. Do we get a, And that's do, why do we get that's a why cut it's, from this suit. <laughs> You're assuming I'm going to make money. Right. Yeah. Um, but the, but that goes back to what you said Karina about the like having each other yes. has been so powerful yes. for the both of you, right? And and we all need to find the person that we can chat with on a regular basis. Hey, the student said this. What would you say next? Yes. Hey, I wasn't. I what problem should I pose tomorrow? Yes. And if you don't have someone like that at your school, please jump on Twitter because we're all there. We're all there. Yes. And somebody will respond to you. And maybe we'll be on TikTok too. Maybe if if I'm going to do it, will you join me? Sure. (laughs) Sure. You got to let us know how to do it. We'll all learn together. I do want to just awesome. go back because I was thinking of something when you were when you were talking um, about how important that context is. It, it also goes back to uh, those those like rules that that we teach students, right? That the 
dividend always has to be greater than the divisor. Well, no, it doesn't because we can <laughs> we can model, right? We can model yes. one whole pizza that's divided into two for two pieces for two people. And that's, and like you said, like probably kindergartners could show that and be okay with it. But fifth graders, I'm showing them what, or I'm talking about what that looks like. And they're like, but well, you can't write it like that. You can't write right. one divided by yes. two. Like that doesn't make any right. sense. Like, <laughs> that number can't be bigger than the other. And so those, those, the context is so important. Yeah. So important. Yes. Yeah, totally agree. Because then it's then it's one divided by two. Okay, you're saying I can't do it. What if I could? What context would match? Right. Or let's try some different things out. Okay, too. one what divided by two what? Because there's different things that, like even the two could operate differently, right? It could be sharing between two people, or it could be, you know, two something per person. Yes. Like it, right? Whether it's the two different types of defin uh, of um, division definitions. And honestly, I don't. Rem- I, I I'll tell you, I'm not good with uh, academic vocabulary myself. Like dividend divisor, like I don't remember. <laughs> it's all good. But if you give me a division equation that's abstract, I can think of many different kinds of contexts that would match right. it and play with those in my mind to kind of make sense of and or make an argument to somebody about why you know. For example, six times seven could be 21. That's right. Wow. This has been an amazing conversation. Do you have any final thoughts you want to add in? No, I would just say I'd love to hear from people who are listening. Like, what are you trying? What are you thinking uh, based on the things that we've said? And I know you always give a challenge, so I hope I didn't jump in. (laughs) (laughs) Listeners, your challenge this week. is, thank you, (laughs) is to think about, is math a noun or a verb? Nice. And I want to know your reasoning of why you think math is either a noun or a verb. I love it. Thank you, Berkeley, for joining us. Thank you. It's an honor. Thank you, listeners. Thanks for joining us. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast and give us a five-star review on your favorite podcasting platform. We invite you to join the conversation on Twitter by using the hashtag learningthroughmath. We'd love to hear your feedback. Make sure to tag us at Laura and Karina. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. To you too.